0: You know, we've gone through this this very difficult year and change now. And we did culturally say religion isn't essential. I mean you do try to be humble and, and welcoming and while also, you know, having the, the courage and your conviction. <laughs>
1: I'm Jeannie Allen, and we are in Piazza today with Catherine Jean Lopez, a leading religion, culture, and politics reporter, analyst, and activist. This week in the town square, that in Piazza that we talk about, we're diving deep into the one subject you're never supposed to talk about in polite company, religion. Um, But I think Catherine would disagree, and particularly after the year we've had, there's no question that faith and politics have never before come together um, like they are today. And so Catherine Jean Lopez joins me today from New York, although not too long ago, she spent a fair share of time in the nation's capital. She directs the National Reviews Institute Center for Religion, Culture and Civil Society and is also editor-at-large of National Review Magazine, where she's been on the editorial staff, including as editor of NationalReview.com since 1997. She's published widely in Catholic and secular publications, also a national syndicated columnist, Catherine Lopez is author of A Year with the Mystics, Visionary Wisdom for Daily Living. Such a cool book uh, that she signed for me. <laughs> she speaks frequently on faith and public life, virtue and prayer. She's a columnist for our Sunday Visitors News Weekly. Oh, my God, she's got so much behind her on the editorial advisory board of Angelus. I love this particular book that you co-authored, How to Defend the Faith Without Raising Your Voice, something Catherine, that's so incredibly important today as we think about how to engage in conversation and dialogue, you know, which is one of the reasons Michael and I um, started this podcast, because we really wanted to start talking about issues that were not just education, but were education about anything um, is important to our society and certainly educating ourselves, um, myself included, about how to talk more civilly and civically, even when we're really angry about something um, is so important. Um, Catherine also serves as chair of Cardinal Dolan's uh, pro-life commission in New York. And when she's not evangelizing, praying or writing brilliant pieces, she shares her thoughtful perspectives on Twitter and social media. And you should be following her if you're not already at at Catherine Lopez, Catherine with a Y. Um, and on Facebook and LinkedIn, um, you can also find her. So, Catherine, welcome to In Piazza.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're, we're uh, having Prosecco in, in, uh, over some Roman piazza.
1: Well, exactly. And that's kind of the flavor that we want because we think, you know, what would you be talking about if you suddenly were in piazza at that original town square and it is June 2021, and um, and I guess I want to kind of jump in there and uh, and start with this. Not that the not that the people would necessarily be coming up and bring up starting with these heady discussions, um, but you just had a publication that was entitled something like "Pride is a Deadly Sin." Oh yeah, and it just struck me so interesting. And I let's just jump in. So what was that about?
0: Well, in the context of what we're how, we're, how we're operating in the public square, you know, oh, and I'll, I'll quickly say so the Supreme Court had that Fulton decision um, two weeks ago now um, about foster care in the city of Philadelphia. Right. The city of Philadelphia, while saying there was a crisis in foster care, we need more families to step up, step up to the plate. Said, "Oh, but Catholic social services we won't work with anymore because you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman." Now, pluralism is being able to exist in a country where there are people who believe marriage is between a man and a woman, and there are people who do not believe that, and we can operate together, or at least we should be. But in some of these, certainly, what I was seeing on Sunday, and and you know, New York is is obviously a rare duck, <laughs> um, but. The, that was not a display of pluralism. That, that was in your face. We all have to believe this, you know. And um, I even, I had an interesting conversation with an Uber driver yesterday. I always have interesting conversations. Yes. with her. And I kind of, he, he was talking about what great business it was this weekend. And um, and I, I I forget what I said that made him comfortable to share his actual feelings. And he said, you know, it is hard because you, you don't judge people and, you you know, you, you just provide rides is what he was saying. But at the same time, there's like this Bacchanalian display, you know, and he knows there's something wrong with it. And it should be okay to say that, you know, like, let's take a few steps back. And yeah, like, we, we all, we all want to live in this country, I would think, where we understand that people see things differently. Right. But but can we do it in such a way that you know every everyone you know is has has equal you know sway in the in the public square or you know that basically that we defend the the free speech rights of of other people but also have have respect for people right. who you know think differently and you know we are at this point where you know the scale is is now where if you have traditional religious beliefs like you're a bigot and like Barack Obama said, he believes these things a half a second ago, relatively speaking, you know, and now all of a sudden you're being ostracized from the public square. No, no, come on. And so back to that Fulton case, I am so grateful for people like Walter Olson from the Cato Institute who is married to a man they adopted internationally. And he says the Catholic church needs to be in the space. Mm-hmm. And so, no one's saying that same sex couples can't adopt. You're saying the Catholic church shouldn't be forced to do that. You go to another, right. it's sort of with the, it's like with the the, the um, poor poor Jack Phillips and the, and the cakes, right? Like, why would you go to the bakery that doesn't support what you're doing? Wouldn't you wanna to go to the bakery that does, you know? Right,
1: and no, and you know what? That's so interesting because while this may sound controversial to some people, I'm sure others think it's refreshing, this is the same kind of microcosm of what we've been living in politics, right? In, pol- in political life. Our children don't feel like they can speak out if they have a difference of agreement about anything. Right. And right. so it sounds to me like your article and your, um, your thinking behind, you know, you know, Pride is saying that I'm so proud and you should be proud of me too.
0: Right. Right. No, no, no.
1: You don't have to be proud of me if you don't like what I do. In fact, I don't even want you to be proud of me if you don't really appreciate. I don't expect Randy Weingarten of the Teachers Union to be proud of me. (laughs) Right. right? I can stuff in her face all day long, but I'm not going to like make her come to my event or make her like bow down to my views.
0: Right. Right, right. But you can also, you're not going to shout at her if you're on the street walking down or outside the, the, the ice cream store, you know, she's another human being who has different right. than you, you know, right. And that's what we've lost. And I think it, I think you've captured it perfectly Jeannie. It's like the way I describe it is I was a political geek when I, before I should have been a political geek, you know, reading national review when I was in the, the sixth grade and, and watching c-span and and i used to think why don't people appreciate how important this is now people watch politics like it's a reality tv show and i'm like could you please get a hobby you know like right. everything is political and no not everything has to be political and people you can learn so people. much
1: i mean I've i've always you know i don't know about you but i've always felt very fortunate that i have grown up with people with diverse views I didn't even know what political views were when I was growing up. I was like a daughter of an Italian immigrant. I mean, we ate, drank, and got to know other people. And you know, once in a while, I would say they're kind of waspy because they didn't seem very they didn't seem very ebullient about anything, and they thought we were kind of crazy the way we talked. But there wasn't like we didn't think about these things. And so I think people are yearning for for going back to that. Let me ask you another question, which really makes you unique. Um, You write a lot about women. Catholic women, but you write a lot about women and the power of women in the faith and elsewhere to have a huge impact. I mean, some of our shared heroes have been women. Um, You know, I kind of think of you as an original kind of naturalist feminist (laughs) in that way, because you really do. um, You wrote that, that book about 11 Catholic women on the power of prayer, but you're always saluting, you know, I follow you. we're, We're on Facebook friends and on social media you see women in the streets of New York that you, you reach out to ask people to help. Um, and I, just tell me a little bit about that.
0: Well, first of all, you know, you, you, this is no, no um, foreign, foreign uh, thing to you. As I was starting out at National Review and, and whatnot, there weren't a lot of women in the conservative movement like there are now, you know? They, they sort of um, were, were rarer and um especially in leadership roles and so i well and and as a as a young person who was politically involved um i i would frequently be at places where i was the only conservative woman (laughs) and um and so i and including including in my catholic girls' school it was it was for me to have the strong views that i did um was was a rarity and um and so i was always having to like defend my positions which i actually i sometimes say that my my communist um, AP European history teacher, AP American, his, AP history teacher was my best teacher ever because she, she said, you have to defend what, you know, and she didn't, she didn't agree, but she let me, let me defend it. And, and um, so I learned a lot, but so I very early on appreciated all the misunderstandings people have, you know, pro-life people hate women and, you know. Catholics want to oppress women and all of these things, which are lies. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess part of it is I naturally want to, mm-hmm. to show people the truth. Um, but the other thing is like the Pope Francis talks about the church's mother and the church can't be mother. If the women aren't being mothers, you know, if the women don't know their, their power. And um, there, there was actually a statement at the end of the second Vatican council um, that Pope Francis, pope benedict reissued and actually handed to me in 2012 2012, sorry um and it it talks about how um women need to save the peace of the earth to keep stop the hand of man from destroying the world basically wow women don't don't appreciate that that power they have to be the a tender influence you know Mm -hmm. um and you know mothers are the most important people in the world and we don't treat them as such, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I, one of, one of my big hobby horses is, is, um, birth mothers are heroes. Like for you to say, I'm not ready to be a mother, but I am going to give life to this child. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. And we don't, we treat birth mothers, like they're some kind of anathema and it's right. wrong. We're, right. or we don't think about them at all, um, but there was this there was this movie, um, little documentary. I lived on Parker Avenue about adoption that came out a couple of years ago, and it's the story of a young man who meets his birth mother for the first time, and Parker Avenue is an abortion clinic. She had gone in for an abortion and she couldn't do it, mm. and so she she went through with an adoption, and he had he's had a wonderful life. And when she first meets him she's crying and she's like overwhelmed and shocked that he loves her and is grateful to her because for all of these years, she assumed that he hated her for giving her, him up. Mm. And meanwhile, his position is, oh my gosh, you gave me this life I have, you know? And um, yeah, so I, mothers in, in all forms are, are, are so critical. And uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit why.
1: It's an exciting podcast to be able to bring you, and we couldn't do it without our friends and sponsors. Stride K twelve, in particular, have been longtime friends of ours at uh, at the Center for Education Reform, which is where I usually hang my hat when I'm not in Piazza. And it powers personalized online learning that meets learners where they are. You know, much of what we talk about here on In Piazza is the importance of making sure everyone has access to the future. And we have to understand that to do so, uh, students in particular have to learn and be exposed to learning in the way that best meets their needs. And you know, when COVID struck, Stride K-12 used their 20 plus years of experience in digital learning provide free resources to 150,000 students, families, and teachers. So I really thank them for their generosity in supporting not only uh, in Piazza and bringing you this special uh, edition with Katherine Jean Lopez, but in supporting families throughout COVID and, um, and in general delivering great programs for kids and families everywhere. you know we've had on this show our first guest was reed hastings who's the founder of netflix ceo we got to know him through his education work he's a democrat um, in talking to him on on the show you know we didn't get too controversial we were talking a lot about the protests and the, and about education and he was saying you know people feel the way they feel right they they have certain ways it was it was it was honorable there are so many leaders like that in business and industry and politics that really do feel like you have something to say you say it i was railing on the show about the school boards in san francisco changing the names of all the schools oh yeah and and instead of being like yeah that's right he was like well you know they have opinions and they they do what they do and you know people vote and they can make changes and And it was so balanced. And um, Carlos Watson from Ozzie also, I think, probably leans left um, of center. Um, Same thing. So many issues, African-American. He does. You know, he's just like there's so many issues out there. I mean, there are there are really, really cool people of different views that feel that we can get to a common ground if you Mm -hmm. actually sort of respect you know respect those different viewpoints. And I think about your work with National Review and Bill Buckley, who I only learned about really later in life. Um oh, late not later in life, like my later 20s, but I wasn't like growing up like you were nerding out over you know National Review. But but Buckley, I'm who created firing line, right? Who would have if anybody out there listening doesn't know, you know, listening to NPR today doesn't understand. And we're talking to Catherine Jean Lopez in case somehow you people always laugh at me when I say this, like I'm on radio. In case you went really fast forward and you have no idea who you're listening to um, from National Review. I mean, Buckley at firing line. He put people of total polar opposites together. And somehow it worked. Yeah. You had these combative debates and you walked away going, I love those two people why is that like how does that magic happen
0: well i think it's uh, it's about having respect for people you know he respected them even though he thought he was they were totally bonkers you know (laughs) (laughs) one of my favorite examples is he had um hugh hefner on and he says at the beginning of the show that like basically he says to him i think you're destroying civilization and (laughs) but then he lets him Explain why he thinks he's not destroying civilization or why he doesn't care that he's destroying civilization. And the reason that, that this is my favorite one of my favorite examples is because um obviously I think Hugh Hefner was destroying civilization. God, God God rest his soul. Um, but um so then Hugh Hefner invited him to write for Playboy, and he did a couple of times, and I think that Bill's best piece on virtue. Was written after Clinton impeachment for Playboy, and wow. like, to have those views in that cesspool—it's just kind of amazing. But it shows what, like, when you have basic human respect for one another, what what might be able to happen, you know? And um, yeah, no, I when he died, I I was editor of the website, so I I, I made the announcement, and. Um, so lots of people sent me their Bill Buckley stories mm. and um, to a person, they were like all the same. It was, it was, I met him, you know, when, when I, they, he came to speak at my campus. I met him in an airport. I sat next to him at dinner. He treated me like I was the most important person in the world. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's sort of, and obviously Bill Buckley was not perfect. And one of the things that breaks my heart is that, Most people who know Bill Buckley now, if they weren't NR geeks or Firing Line geeks, um, know about when he blew up at Gore Vidal. Um, But I use that as an example in media training because Bill and Gore Vidal had like, I don't, seven hours uh, on on tape. And odds are, you know, maybe not be that you blow up at somebody, but you're going to say something that you didn't. You didn't think through. What was that
1: movie about that? It was the the movie about them, the documentary movie about that happening.
0: It was it was the one the, the one I'm thinking about was like a 2020 segment,
1: right? But then there was a mo- there was a movie about that situation. Oh, was there? Oh, yeah,
0: oh, about okay. the Gore Vidal one. Yeah, yeah, Best of Enemies. Yeah, Best
1: of Enemies. Right.
0: And that's why, yeah, a lot of younger people only know him from that, and and that's unfortunate because that was the exception to the rule. Bill would they always had people who disagreed with him over at his house, and the the editorial staff at at NR would have a conversation, you know, with the with the Democratic mayor of New York and and that kind of thing. Um, one of his best friends was John Kenneth Galbraith, the liberal economist, and and so. Yeah, no, Bill was very good at being able to have human human relationships with people that he disagreed with on things because all of life is not
1: politics, you know? Right, and his politics didn't define all of him. He was a great right. fiction writer. I loved his fiction writings and his books, um, but it's so true. You know, everyone's got their story and I'm not going to take your podcast and tell you about mine, but I will tell you, talk about lack of pride. You know, he could have been an arrogant um, person to me when I ran into him in New York, but he left, he left an event where they were honoring him, went to a bar. I was waiting at a table alone for somebody. And I took the opportunity to go talk to him and remind him that I had worked, uh, as the original director of town hall between NR and heritage and how the day I was having my first call with him, I literally threw a bag of large bag of M&Ms on the floor for my children because they were screaming because back then you did not get on a phone call with anyone with children in the background. By the way, all of you out there who actually have gone through a Zoom call or any other call and you've got kids in the background, that didn't happen, by the way, you know, 30 years ago. Sorry. So I was so freaked out because none of them were being quiet. And I literally opened a basement, threw a bag of M&Ms down the stairs. I think I copied this from another friend we know. And um, when I got off the phone, there was like literally chocolate all these children. I probably poisoned them. And I'm telling him this story and he's staring at me like I'm a crazy woman. And I said, anyway, I just want to tell you that story. He looked at me, he said, my dear, I'm simply not that important.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I and said, it was very nice to see you. I probably should go back to where they think they're honoring me. And he, and he turned around and he went back to the I Metro Club in New York. And I remember thinking to myself, anyone else would have been like, just you want my autograph I mean sure. Bill Buckley and that and I think that comes full circle to humility and I think Catherine that is you know one of the things I, I I see in your writing for again people are probably beginning like hate mail and notes about why did you interview people like this etc is is his humility guess what we might all be wrong but let's go down fighting for what we think is right
0: well and I I like to um I, I like to think that like we're all trying our best you know and um and part of life the po- point of life in this world i think is to help one another get to heaven and so i um you know one one of um my pet peeves is i um and i i i also strongly believe that we all have our role but i retired from like media outrage when i was like 25 i think because you know so so people say can you believe the new york times did this or like of course the new york times did that like why are you why are you wasting energy on that you know and um but but that's but that's also to to say that you know sometimes sometimes people are driving an agenda yeah but sometimes, you know, it's based on, on what's happened to them in life. And, you know, a lot of people, for instance, are, are not warm to the Catholic church. And it's because of, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the greatest scandal, but sometimes it's the greatest scandal, but sometimes it's just like a nun was mean to his brother, you know, in school. And so now that's the Catholic church to him. And so I understand that we're, you know, because we're all, we're all human and the church is made up of human beings. And, so I mean you do try to yeah be humble and and welcoming and while also you know having having the the courage of your convictions you know we do believe certain things and and that doesn't mean that we are cruel to people or but we also you know if you if the world is saying up is down like no up isn't down and and you know i just i'm not going to say up is down And so. you know i
1: think and i think one great model for that also is a people of the jewish faith they are resolute in what they do how they do it i've lived with them we have we have great jewish people in our family they're dear friends they're supporters and um, when they're committed, because they came out of such a disastrous history, right, right. thousands of years, and even recently in our own, you know, lifetimes, right, right. and, and they don't quite there, like everything could end. And there, and so it's just, um, it's extraordinary. So, um, well, Catherine, you have been so fantastic to spend this time with me today on In Piazza.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Jeannie. It's such a joy to, to uh, talk to you. It's been yeah,
1: and I and I do. There's just so much that everybody out there should um, follow and dig into and challenge if you don't believe it, and challenge your own. I think really the what the reason I wanted to go a little bit outside color, outside the lines of just education and politics, and get more into culture and now religion is because I think we all have to be questioning constantly. And I think um, there's so many people out there that I meet on a regular basis, particularly through education, who don't feel like there's any hope for them. Um, And they are in the most difficult of circumstances. And I just thought, you know, you're such a, you're such a great um, model and author about these things. I wanted to make sure that I introduced you to our audiences. So thank you so much.
0: Your your point that you made at the beginning, I think, is so important and so worth re- repeating. You know, we've gone through this, this very difficult year and change now. And we did culturally say religion isn't essential. You know, the, the church has closed down and and stayed closed for too long. And Cardinal Dolan has even spoken about this that that maybe we shut down too quickly and we stayed closed for too long. And, you know, you see so many people lonely and depressed and suicidal, and I think it has a lot to do with, you know, if there's, if there's nothing more than this, then, like, what's the point? Right. And so I think it's really important for people to be reaching out in faith to people and sharing, um, sharing what, what helps them make sense of the world, you know?
1: Couldn't agree more. Catherine Jean Lopez, National Review Institute, author, activist. Thanks for being in Piazza. Ciao.
0: You can find In Piazza wherever you get your podcast. This is a special project of the Center for Education Reform in GSV.
1: Thanks for listening to In Piazza. Ci vediamo, or as we say in English. We'll see you soon. I'm Jeannie Allen. I'm Michael Lowe. Ciao.